The text for the sermon is taken from the gospel. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The resurrection of our Lord was unlike anything, anything that had ever happened in the history of the world. There had been resuscitations before, like when Elisha raised the boy from the dead, or when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But both of those people had to die again. Their souls had been in some way summoned back into their bodies. And that's where the word comes from. In Latin, the, the stem of that word is citare, which means to summon back. But the word resurrection comes from a very different Latin verb, surgere, which means to rise. And if you combine that with the prefix, re, it means to rise again, like Jesus did. And that has an inherently different emphasis, one on newness, one on new birth. So Jesus' resurrection, which we're now celebrating this Easter season, instituted something completely new. And this morning, I want to explore what is this newness? And I would say that it's a new reality, really, in which we have a new hope. And I use that term reality because the resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms our temporal reality since he instituted new rules such as eternal life or such as the sacraments. But for you to understand what is this new reality, you have to step into the biblical story. It's so hard for us going about day to day in our temporal reality to again see the power and to see the difference of the resurrection. And so to enter into this biblical story, into the biblical narrative, I want to tell you the story again by looking at another word. It's a Greek word. It shows up only three times in our Bible. That word is emphusao. And by looking at its three appearances, I hope that we will see what this new reality is really about. And then we'll see what is the true meaning of our Lord's resurrection. Emphusao is a compound verb which means it took two Greek words and slammed them together to make a new word. And the root of it, which is fusao, means to puff or to blow. Uh, it was used in uh, the implied sense then, as in to germinate something, to blow uh, life into it, uh, to even grow or produce. And you see it used literally uh, in Greek texts, but also figuratively. So, uh, in the sense of blowing life into something. And that's that prefix, M, it just means into. Now, the first time it's used in the Bible, I think you can probably guess this, is in Genesis. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. This breath of life, God breathing life into, emphasao, is something special when you compare it to all other creations. For only in man did God breathe life. God then puts man and woman in the Garden of Eden. 
to not only tend the garden, but also just to be with him, to walk with God without shame or without fear. As we well know, Adam and Eve went against the guidance of their creator, and they ate the fruit of the tree. Their souls, as a result, were wounded by sin, and no longer could they be present with God without fear or shame. They were then exiled from the garden, and their union with God, their walking with God, was now hampered by their festering wounds. They needed healing, desperately, but man of his own volition, he could not just heal himself. The second use of emphusao in the Bible comes to us in Ezekiel's vision, which you might remember was one of the morning prayer readings from this week. There's no accident to this. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was born around the 620s BC. And when he was born, the king, King Josiah, had instituted sweeping cultural and religious reforms for the purpose of restoring the nation of Israel, and then for Israel to keep the commandments of the law. The city, as a result, was actually thriving for a little bit, and the people were enjoying the peace that their king had brought them for a little bit. And then Ezekiel witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. He himself died in exile in Babylon. And I tell you this because it's while he was in exile is when he had the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Do you know this vision? Do you remember what he sees? Ezekiel's walking through this dry valley and there's scattered bones, human bones lying on the floor of this valley. He then tells the bones at God's command to put themselves back together. And there's a rattling noise as these bones gather themselves up and shape themselves into skeletons. And then God puts flesh onto these skeletons. And finally, God breathes new life into these bodies, enfusao. It's a striking vision. It's a vision of resurrection, of new life, of a new body. Today, in our Easter season, though, we're not looking at just a prophecy anymore. Do you see this? We're not, we're not looking just in a vision, but now we are looking towards a historical reality, something that really happened. We're looking at a person. We don't have a dream in front of us, but a real body, the body of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to the third use of this word, emphusao, in the Bible. And it comes in the Gospel of John. In our Gospel reading today, we find the apostles back in the upper room, the same room probably where Jesus had washed their feet and then celebrated his last Seder meal with them. And John tells us, to no surprise, that the apostles are afraid. They're terrified. But think, if we're in a biblical metaphor, think about what this brings us back to. Like Adam and Eve after the fall, they're now hiding in fear and shame. Like Ezekiel, they're now in exile. The gospel account is now completing this great biblical chiasmus. And as Jesus re recapitulates the error of our first parents, 
and he does it correctly. When Jesus comes to them, notice in the text what he does. He first offers them peace. That's a fulfillment of what he promised them back in John 14, but it's also a fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision and an answer to Adam and Eve's sin. Peace is the antidote to fear, the very thing that Adam and Eve longed for. They longed for peace. The power of death and shame, on the other hand, had held them in fear. But the presence of the resurrected Jesus brings new life to the apostles. It destroys the power of death and the feeling of shame. After that greeting of peace then, which actually Jesus has to say twice because I think the apostles are so shocked, then Jesus says this, or John writes, when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them. What word do you think is used there? But emphusao. He breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Of course, it's the same word used in Genesis, the same word used in Ezekiel, and only found in these three times throughout the whole Bible. First, we should notice that what this is trying to do, what John is trying to teach you, is that Jesus is God. Only God can breathe new life into his creatures. But second, we should notice that the apostles here are given a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, they could not stand in the presence of God without fear and shame. They needed to get back to God, but they could not as the result of their sin. But now, here you have Jesus, the God-man, who fills the apostles with his own Holy Spirit so that they can once more walk again with God. Look at what power Jesus mentions at this time. He says, apostles, now whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. Why does he say this at this time? It's kind of an odd an odd thing to tack on here. Peace be with you. Here's the Holy Spirit. By the way, whoever sins you remit, you can, they're forgiven. Why now? Well, because God has lifted up mankind into his life by giving him his spirit. And because Jesus has now reversed the sin of Adam, as a result of that power, the apostles now have power over sin. They have command over sin. I want you to think just for a moment how amazing this is. The apostles have power over sin. The full gift of the, Holy of the Holy Ghost will come at Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks. But it should not pass us by why Jesus breathed his spirit into the apostles now for the sake of forgiving sins. It's exactly what Adam and Eve could not do. They sinned and then they had to live in the death of their sin, but no longer. What Jesus gives the apostles is exactly what man needed in order to re-enter into a proper relationship with God. In the history of the world, man could never before have power like this over sin. It's a start of a new reality. It's a reality based on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it's a reality then that grows and blossoms over time. This is the reality in which you live. It's a reality that transforms your day-to-day -day temporal reality. And by transform, I mean in the sense of how Jesus' body after the resurrection had been transformed. It walked day-to-day. -day. He ate food in a temporal reality in the way that we do, but, but not in the same way. It had been transformed. Likewise, our reality is transformed now so that our day-to-day -day life no longer has to be determined or bound to sin and death. This is the truth. This is the truth that can set you free, free as it did the apostles. Next week, we will look more at what living in this new reality looks like and combining that with what living under a good shepherd looks like in a sacramental life. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.